0: Hi, this is Greg Voison inviting you to listen to our latest Inside Personal Growth podcast number 896 with author Jan Phillips about her new book entitled Still on Fire, Field Notes from a Queer Mystic. This podcast number 896 is brought to you by Adrian Gostick and Chester Elton, authors of a new book entitled Anxiety at Work, Eight Strategies to Help Build Resilience, Handle Uncertainty, and Get Stuff Done. In this engaging interview with Adrian and Chester, we speak about anxiety and stress in the workplace as it affects productivity, focus, and performance. If you want to get people to come, feel good about working, and feel like they're making a contribution and bring down anxiety and stress levels, you'll want to listen to this interview. To learn more about Adrian Gostick and Chester Elton, their books and courses, please visit their websites at www. Gostick and Elton.com. That's Gostickandelton.com. That's G O S T I C K A N D E L T O N.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with author Jan Phillips about her new book entitled Still on Fire Field Notes from a Queer Mystic. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Jan, as I do every time I do one of these shows, and I think my authors get sick of me saying it, but there wouldn't be a podcast after 15 years of still doing this if I didn't have listeners. And those listeners are, there's tons of them there to dedicated for those of you who are new who found me, however you found me, thank you so much. And joining me from San Diego, just right down the street, well, maybe a little bit more down the street, but um, I'm in Encinitas, she's in San Diego, is Jan Phillips, a longtime friend who has written a new book called Still on Fire, and the subtitle is Field Notes from a Queer Mystic. And Jan, um, this is just a lovely book. It's a pleasure having you on. Um, How are you doing?
1: I'm doing just great. I'm thrilled to see you and be with you again. Thanks for the well,
0: even if it's even if it's via Zoom. I mean, because it's been a while since we've actually sat down and had a cup of coffee, and that's what we should do next or tea. But I'm going to let my listeners know something about you. Jan Phillips Quest has led her into and out of a religious community across the country on a Honda motorcycle and around the world. Uh, on a one-woman peace pilgrimage. Uh, She's been a writer and a photographer since the mid-1970s, an artist in many arenas. Jan has three CDs of original music, a YouTube channel, a monthly newsletter, podcasts, and videos, and and connects the dots of evolutionary creativity, spiritual intelligence, and social action. She is the author of 10 other books, and if you want to find out more about her books, just go to, it's very easy, dot com. There you can actually see, I watched the TED Talk this morning. I didn't even know she was on TED. Uh, you can see that talk about creativity. But we're going to talk about this book. And I think more interestingly about this book and her journey is what every one of my listeners, I think, can learn from this book. Um learn more importantly about spirituality, creativity, and life. Um, and Jan, I don't know, I've known you for a long time. I've known you in the business world. I've known you in the personal world. I've seen how you've interacted with people and the creativity that you've brought to the table. Um, and it has always impressed me, you know, between the music, the poetry, the photography, the books, uh, the things, you're somebody who's always in motion. Um, And you've, you've written many other books, like we said, and some of those were like business evolutionary books, right? They were very, very interesting. They were way ahead of their time, by the way. Um, Had they come out now with this climate summit, I think we probably would have gotten a lot more juice from them, but this book's still on fire, is really kind of about you and your journey and your life and um, why this book now and just really why? What do you want to let the world know?
1: Well, that's such a good question. Um, All of my other books are nonfiction, which erupt out of some problem, right? And so if you see a problem, then you do your research and you write the book about it. But now I'm at a point in my life, I'm 72, and I thought, good time to write a memoir specifically called Field Notes from a Queer Mystic for two reasons. One is gay teens are in trouble. They're four times more apt to attempt suicide than regular straight teens are. And there's trouble in the gay community. We're There's just a lot of violence these days. And so I wanted to be totally out and to make it very clear on the cover of the book that this was for our tribe, for and about our community. The mystic piece is because, you know, there's a massive exodus movement of people leaving the churches now because the churches are failing in integrity, they're failing to be inspiring. And people are just leaving the churches and droves. Many of them haven't ever teased apart religion, what we inherit from our own spirituality, what we create. And so I think there's a lot of people out there, particularly Catholics, who feel like they can have a powerful spirituality because they're not associated with Catholicism anymore. So this book is for that community who wants to find out how to create a vital and inspired spiritual life for themselves, which will inform all their actions in the world. So it's a show by all of the experiences of one person who did it.
0: Well, and it took a lot of courage, you know, to do the things you've done. And I think one of the things that you're bringing to your audience, your tribe, is the opportunity to be courageous. I know when people come out, um, that's a courageous act. Um, many people still hide behind that veil um, and of, of being gay. I want you to tell us a little bit about your personal story Uh, from a gay girl to becoming a nun in the convent to breaking free. I say breaking free uh, because, you know, religion versus spirituality versus faith, as you denote in the book, there's a huge difference. I always say religion did more to control people than it ever did to do anything else versus spirituality, helped people become free. Um, It it freed them. I mean, that's my personal compare and contrast. That's good. Yeah. What do you believe uh, have been the significant turning points? And what would you tell our listeners that are contemplating their life's journey, whether they're gay or not, Um, and embracing what's next? Because, you know, with COVID, with the lockdown, with everybody rethinking their finitude, um, you know, I've lost two brothers this year, I lost two good friends this year. Um, you know, you've got people leaving work in groves saying, I don't want to be at this place anymore because I don't have fulfillment, I don't have meaning, I don't have purpose in what I'm doing, and you're the perfect person to address this. So, I know I packed a lot in that question. But there's two questions, really, probably three. I want you to tell the people about your story uh, of becoming a nun and then being dismissed. I read the damn letter that they sent to you, which was like that was the lamest excuse I'd ever seen uh, to breaking free and then helping people kind of embrace um, their spirituality and their creativity. What would you tell them?
1: Well, A, the backstory, yeah. I discovered I was gay. There wasn't a word gay in in the 60s when I discovered that I was homosexual. Nothing could be worse than to be a Catholic 12-year-old who falls in love with girls. Nothing could be worse. So so I considered suicide because as far as I knew from the whole Catholic Church, ev God doesn't like homosexuals, the church doesn't, the culture doesn't, family doesn't, so I'll just kill myself. So I am pondering, how will I do this? And I'm in sixth grade and the nun likes me and she wonders, why am I walking around so sad and with my head down all hunched over all the time? And she decides to do a campaign. She calls my mom. She says, Your daughter, something's wrong with your daughter. We're gonna bring her back to life. How do my mom, how do we do this? Well, I have a new idea. We're gonna try positive reinforcement, which is just affirming the kid over and over whenever they do anything right. And the nun did it in spades. Every time I she'd watch me on the playground, she'd say how good I was at captured the flag. <clears throat> Best speller in class, writes so straight on the board, so smart, what an artist! First, I thought she was crazy, but after a month of this, it sunk in, and one day it happened that that sad, sick little caterpillar woke up a butterfly, and when that happened. I immediately became a leader. I immediately stopped thinking suicidal thoughts. And I immediately decided I'm going to be a nun when I grow up because nuns save kids' lives. So that was the weird reason why I went into the convent, to save other kids' lives. And I had to wait six years because I was 12 when that happened. So I stayed in the, I loved it in the comment because I didn't pay any attention to rules that I didn't want to pay attention to. So I just took a lot of freedom to be me, but they found out that I was gay, that I was in love with the novice, that I'd snuck into her bedroom. It was a disaster because even though they're always afraid of a carnal relationship, never did anything more than kiss. Nothing sexual ever happened, but they had such fear about yeah. those kinds of relationships, so they sent me home worst thing that ever happened to me, and it began a twenty year downward spiral.
0: I have a question for you. I'll impose it here. I'll insert yes. It. do you ever watch Grant Chester? I I I have
1: seen it once. So, yeah. so
0: Leonard is the guy, it's the gay guy who they catch in the fifties and put him in prison. Ooh. In England. Yeah. For being gay, but he is the vicar's assistant or what a curer, whatever they call them. Yes. And and it's you know, you get to look back in time and you say, How ignorant could people be? <laughs> You know, it it they he went before a judge and a trial and a jury and the whole nine yards and they threw him in jail. All I can say to my listeners, if you haven't seen Grantchester, PBS, it's the, it's the best. And what Jan is talking about, it, she isn't just saying, "Hey, this this happened once." This happened so much back then um, that it was almost a crime. You know. I'm sorry if I sidetracked you, but. No, you didn't
1: sidetrack me. So it happened in a college class I took too. The expression of homophobia was my professor who was, the class was how do you create a two slide projector show where the images dissolve and there's a soundtrack of music to create a more emotional impact. This is before computers and before PowerPoints, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone is using slide projectors. And so I came out and I did a slideshow called Woman to Woman. And it had images of lesbians, but it was about as many images as how we are in the culture. I don't know, 10%. It wasn't all that. And there was no eroticism or anything. It was just there, there was a picture of a woman on a motorcycle with a T-shirt that said, I love younger women. Uh, <laughs> that's just, you know, kind of the extent of it or, you know, a, a button that says I'm a dyke. It was just nothing. But he was disgusted with the whole thing, said he was giving me an F. A few people in the class shunned me. And I went right over to that's when the day I came out as an activist, I went right over to the human sexuality professor because I knew he always brought marginalized people into his classes to talk to the classes. Mm -hmm, I said, mm -hmm. I want to talk to your class about being a lesbian and getting bad treatment from people for no reason at all. So he let me talk to the class. And that was my coming out as a social activist.
0: Interesting, you know, because I, I had a class at San Diego State in the 70s. And even in the 70s, I remember it was a class on sexuality, and it was jam full. And they would bring in marginalized people, as you said, they'd either bring in couples that were swingers, or they'd bring in gay men or lesbian men or whatever they had, you know. But what the reason the class was packed is because everybody was so interested. People were hanging out the doors. I mean, right. it was it was probably one of the most fun classes. And then afterwards, we all went to a bar and talked. And, it, yeah. you know, it was, that was the way it was. That was, that was the cool. way. That's what we did. So what would you tell the listeners in some way? from this experience because it had its pain and it's had its joys uh it you know you've had you had a partner you lost her to cancer you know i have a uh had an older brother who died two years ago and he was gay all of his life he died at 77 and he said you know and he lived in the same times you did i mean it was pretty much identical and he said, there was nothing worse than being a gay man. He said, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. What, you know, what happened to him? You know, you look at his journey, meaning that he didn't find that much happiness as a result of it. Um, and my I guess my question to you would be, in all of this journey that you've been from being a nun to me, reading that letter in the book about what she said, I actually even quoted it somewhere in these questions because um, I just was appalled at the, the letter. And it said Occidental, California. I was like, where's Occidental? That must have been LA, right? I was just thinking. Myself. Oh, it's up north, Sonoma County. <laughs> is that where it is? I didn't even know where Occidental was. But I saw the letter <laughs> Occidental. I was like, Occidental? I know there's an Occidental college. I didn't know there was Occidental. But what would you tell our listeners? About this journey about the, you know, becoming an activist. Like you just said, that was the day I became an activist. You know, you made a decision in your life, and I think there becomes a turning point where people say, There's so much pain, I'm going to do something to change.
1: Yes, that's it. And I could not heal my heart. You know, I lived for a couple of years every day going to the mailbox thinking, Maybe today I'll get the the letter saying they made a terrible mistake. You know, I was just like living with a delusion that they had just made a terrible mistake because I was destined to be in a, in a religious community. So I couldn't heal my heart. And I tried therapy, therapy, never worked, never worked. Years go by and I'm just, how it translated through my body was I had so much rage. I had so much shame. I had so much pain. So not knowing what to do, how I couldn't turn it around, I just started drinking a lot. I started doing drugs. I started being kind of promiscuous, not not able to have a committed relationship because at any moment of the day, somebody can pull the rug out from under you. So it undermined all my natural instincts to trust people. It was terrible. And that went on for... 20 years until I had an occasion to sit down with the woman who was the provincial director of the community. It was a mother house with 400 sisters in it. The head honcho of the mother house agreed to sit down with me to help me process it because I said to her, I can't heal. And it's been 20 years since she was generous. She goes, yes, come to my convent. She had rotated out of leadership. Go to the comment, tell her the whole story. My hope is if I have her as a witness, something might change. And something changed indeed. And I don't know why, but at the at I, I started the story when I was 12. Talked to her about, you know, the whole night of being kicked out, how terrible that was. What I've, What's happened to me since then. And when I was done, she said, she called me sister. She said, sister, will you forgive me? for this terrible injustice that happened to you on my watch kind of surprised me. Cause I wasn't there with the agenda called they better figure out how to ask me for my, It didn't even occur. <laughs> and then I said, yeah, I said, of course I forgive you. And then she said, will you forgive the entire community of the sisters of St. Joseph? <clears throat> yes. I said, of course. I forgive the entire community of the sisters of St. Joseph of Carondola for this terrible injustice that was done to me. And the minute I uttered those words, some kind of miracle happened and my brain took a turn. And I hear this voice says, nothing to forgive. And the next thing that occurred to me was I said to her, Oh my God, there's nothing to forgive. I said, I should be thanking you for the privilege that you gave me to spend two years in a monastic environment. So in my brain, the whole thing got turned around and I don't know what that forgiveness thing had to do with it.
0: Well, it sounds like you went through the rage process. In other words, You know, when people get angry, you said, hey, I went and did drugs. I was promiscuous. I did this. That was kind of the rage part that you got through. Then when you went back to see her after that, is that correct? Yeah, way after that. Way after that. And you got her forgiveness. Something triggered in your mind. um, that I didn't get her forgiveness. I forgave her. Well, ultimately, but she said, will you forgive? What I heard you say was... Will you forgive me and us, the rest of them, and ask in yes. order? Yes. And you said, You don't need to. I forgive you. Uh, is that right? At darling? first, I said,
1: I forgive you. And then the voice from the cosmos says, There's nothing to
0: forgive. Well, that's they the spirituality to... and not the religion. That's the soul and not the ego. That is. And you know, you got to a point. I just had an interview with Gary Zukoff. You know yeah. universal human. and you know our um, our true power is that power from the soul. Uh, yet we frequently get tied up in the ego and think that's so important to you know have that. Um, no, we all have them. The question is is how much are they impeding our growth? Um, and and can you recognize that? And you know your spiritual journey, as you said, it's been interesting. You've been from embracing Catholicism to touching Buddhism to touching all these other things that you explored. You've explored a lot. Uh, And you cite this Niels Bohr. I'd never heard of him before. And there was a great quote. Opposite a truth statement is a false statement. Uh, But opposite a profound truth is another profound truth. Um, you found the truth. What um, significant meaning does that quote have for you? And how might our listeners relate to that as well?
1: Well, Niels Bohr is a physicist. And the world of physics is open. It's kind of opening up the science of physics is opening up our minds to the most incredible truths. Because it borders on metaphysics, right? So physics leads to metaphysics. And so what he said is opposite a true statement is a false statement. In this realm where we live, in the realm of the relative, it's true. It's raining out or it's not raining. Right, it's either true or false. Whatever you're saying, mm-hmm. you can defend it because you can see it, feel it, etc. But in the realm of the absolute, which is the dimension beyond us, the dimension of divinity, the absolute realms, there's no good and evil. There's no duality. Opposite of profound truth is, is another,
0: another profound, profound truth. truth.
1: So yeah. I could say from this higher perspective. Being dismissed from the convent was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Being dismissed from the convent was the best thing that ever happened to me. They're both profoundly true.
0: That is what I wanted the listeners to hear. Uh, Because frequently, when something goes away that we think we should have, we get attached to it. So it's non attachment to what that is in our mind, to what we think it was supposed to be. Um, And for you, the supposed to be was, I was supposed to stay in the convent. And the truth was you weren't. Um, And you were supposed to become Jan. The truth is, that is the truth. Now, a question, because so many listeners are active on social media, and the divisiveness that occurs as a result of people putting stories out, including our media. And this wasn't one of our questions, but I have this for you. And how in in the, you said, right, first off that the gay community is hurting. That was one of your first statements. There's, there's a lot of anger. Um, and this is being proliferated by false stories. Um, false stories that are all over the place. All you got to do is go on the internet and you start to see them. Uh, and, and these false stories, um, have been exacerbated lately in your mind to bring, um, you know, look, they said there's either fear or love, two big emotions. How would you bring love back to this community that you say is hurting so much?
1: Well, it's kind of a tricky question. I mean, writing this memoir <laughs> and telling the whole story of being queer all my life and the consequences of that is one way to do it. Right. I created a whole photo exhibition called Born Gay with that I that was up for a month in Hillcrest at the living room coffee house. And it's big images of me all through my life, from age three, kindergarten third grade, and it tells the whole story about how did I know I was born gay, what it felt like, how come I had to have a fake boyfriend, all the ways I lied and tried to not and tried to say, "I am not that how it backfires on us so. I think the best we can do is to just come out and tell our own stories. But the problem is, see, I have nothing to fear and nothing to lose. I I had lost everything. So there was nobody could get at me now. I have I lost my church, my community. I lost my family for a little while. So what else can they take from me? I have nothing to lose. But. I'm in alignment. I'm in community with women who could lose their children in a custody case. So me being out, no consequences. You can't hurt my feelings, right? But my sister being out, they could take her kids away. So we really have to face up with what's the real ramifications. But look what they're doing to Pete Buttigieg now. Yeah, you know, making fun of him for taking paternity leave. You know, I just read today a little trans kid in grammar school, the boys put up a camera, they hit a camera in the bathroom to see how the kid went to the bathroom as a trans person, and then they posted it online. That kind of baloney. They're throwing us off buildings in the Middle East. They're killing people outright in the streets in Africa because our missionaries go over there and say homosexuality is a terrible sin and a crime. It goes on everywhere all around us. Every one of us who is queer has to deal with how am i going to be and i just say the most freedom f- comes for us and to us and through us when we acknowledge yes i am that
0: i would say that and that's true with anything that you are is to claim it um and not dance around it and i and i think that's an important message here it's an important message in the book um and whether it's bravery or courage or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, you speak about being a nun, which were in the, and I say, in the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church. Um, what would you tell the listeners about finding their bliss and what risks you had to take to ultimately find yours? And speak about the journey that you call it from religion to faith, if you would. Because- I Go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't
1: realize how to find my bliss until I'm sitting there in a mess going, When was I blissful? And the truth was, I was blissful for the most part in the convent. And the reason was because when you're in the novitiate, it's like boot camp. When you're in boot camp for any of the armed forces, They control your time, right? Five o'clock, get up. Six o'clock, do that. Eight o'clock, do this, right? Well, so it's like that in the convent. Only they pretty much divvied up the day into four parts. Prayer, solitude, community, and service. And when I put all those pieces together, I said, oh, my heavens, I could create a life that has equal parts of service to others, community, prayer, and silence. And so once I got that, that's how I created my life.
0: And you didn't need someone else to do that for you. Anybody listening out there can do that. So right, because you
1: are in charge of our time. It's, it's a matter of how you apportion your time. Yeah. That's why I think you mentioned this earlier, Greg, but that's why I think so many people have quit their jobs and they're not going back because they discovered when they create their own days, yes, you have to put in the work part, but you can also consciously create it so you have time for meditation. Time to be with other people socially. You figure out what your service is, right? So we have this COVID thing has been the worst thing and the best thing that ever happened to the human species.
0: I agree. I agree. Um, And it's giving us time. I think you said in your speech to them about creativity, we're going to change out our RAM. You know, we're going to. Actually, the the mental part. Upgrade our software, and I think that's important. And you state that uh, you were running toward a good life, but that you were running away at the same time from a culture that shamed you, a family that might not accept you, and a world that didn't seem to have a place for you. Um, you know, it was interesting your mother was catholic your father wasn't catholic. So it was a, a, a you know, what does the lesbian woman inside of you want to say about being accepted and what would you advise any other gay women listening to be accepted?
1: Well, I think it's really important to create for ourselves our own family of choice to Prepare ourselves to, yeah, I still have my family. I still go to family reunions. I still, I visit my brother occasionally, though he's a Trump supporter and it's become more difficult now. But I have another family of people who will never let me down. And they are my community and they're all over the country. But that's an essential thing. For those of us who, whose lives are at risk, and I'm not worried about somebody coming up and killing me for being queer, although somebody might. I, I'm not worried about that, but I know that I have a community of support. And I think that's a, like somebody might be sitting in some podunk town in Nebraska or in the middle of Kansas right now and and not be out and not be proud and not know how to find community, I think they should go to janphillips.com and get a consult with me. I agree. I
0: agree.
1: Because there's a lot, I'm not, we're not going to spend a lot of time here on me giving you steps one through five. But the thing I know is that we have to figure out how to create a circle around ourselves. And it sometimes starts with book clubs you know, sometimes helps to have social media, but everybody's story is so different.
0: Well, you travel around the country speaking and doing community and built community everywhere. And if they go to your website, they certainly can find out where you're going to be next. And in spite of covid Jan still forges on um masks or no masks, in this case, probably masks. Um, but you know, do look for she's right. Go to janphillips.com, J-A-N-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S dot com and send her an email. Um, you know, say, hey, I'd like to talk to you uh, because this is gonna reach a lot of people. Um, and I'm hoping it has a very positive uh element that people hear through this. Uh, who would like to get in touch with you. Now, uh, in the 60s, you had the software of Catholicism installed, you said. Um, As you wrote in the book, um, what was it like living with a mother that was Catholic? And you said there were 13 of you. Is that right? My mom was one of 14. One of 14. And a father who did not follow the religion but your mother won and influenced your programming. Um, and why do you believe you bought in lock, stock, and barrel? What is it that you think, if you think back then, you know, we don't, we're don't. we very young. We're very impressionable. I, I Actually, uh, I'll say this. When I was interviewing Gary Zukov, he said, you know, do you remember when you're in your backyard and there was a sandbox and there were fences around it? He says, you had never taken the fences down. And in your case, in anybody's case, being that young, you're so influenced. You don't recognize there's something beyond the fences, right? I think that's a really great analogy. We don't recognize there's something beyond the fences. And we're frequently stuck in the fences in the same sandbox, doing the same thing. Um, Why do you think you bought into it, Lock, Stock and Barrel, so much?
1: Well, for one, the Catholic Church is is a master at programming because they do it with, let's just say, (laughs) I'll say three words, frankincense, candles, colored vestments, ever changing. Hallelujah. Chorus. (laughs) That'll do it.
0: So that's what got you to change. Okay. So look, after you were dismissed, you got in, you were in a couple of years, you were dismissed. Um, and you wrote this letter to Sister Joan Teresa, Teresa right? Yeah. And you wanted to find out why you were dismissed. And you talked a little bit about this. But the reason stated was, in the letter, a disposition unsuited to religious life with excessive and exclusive friendships. Quote, unquote. Um, she claimed she didn't have the file or whatever. It was short. Yeah. So... What was it like dealing with the dismissal and how did you deal with this? And you've actually already said how you kind of went back and asked her. But mentally at the time, Jan Phillips sitting there getting this letter, were you raged? Enraged? I I felt bad that they never got
1: me because I told you, I think they had a very fear it was called Particular Friendships, and we shortened it to PFs, and we made jokes about it. And if you have somebody you're really strongly fond of and there's any emotional quality, she would be your PF. Okay. okay. But that's why she said, you know, relationship particular friendships. Oh, uh, yeah. And so I had one. I had two. You know, I wrote about the two in the book. And that just, you know, it scared them. And so I thought they think I'm unsuitable for religious life because I love people. Yeah. And they say I'm excessive and exclusive. Well, excessive, yes. Exclusive, no. So I said they don't even know who they're dealing with here. But it still didn't make me feel better because I still had no power in the matter, and I was still turning the whole thing into a country-western tune called They Done Me Wrong. Because <laughs> that was seven, 1977. That was only midway through my healing journey, which took me into 1990.
0: Yeah. So, well, you know, the book is a great memoir for people to read, to understand uh, what you went through, and to then relate that to things they might be going through in their life where they're having similar reactions to it and how they can learn to let go, how you learn to let go of that and to forgive and maybe never forget, but to forgive. And Jan, you said that Ken Keyes Jr. wrote a book entitled The Hundredth Monkey. Uh, What impact did this book have on your life and how did it turn your life upside down, as you stated in the book?
1: I was working as a picture framer in a suburban mall outside Syracuse, New York. I go to work one day and on my workbench is a book called The Hundredth Monkey. I took it with me on my lunch hour and read the whole thing while I was eating my sandwich. And I discovered I could be the hundredth person. I don't think we have time to go into the story, but anyone could Google it and get the story. But I proclaimed in the middle of the restaurant, oh my God, I could be the hundredth person because it's about changing consciousness, not through words and language, but through intention and thoughts and action. And that was the day I decided to make a peace pilgrimage around the world. So I left the restaurant, went over to the bank Give the teller 20 bucks and say to her, I'm going to make a peace pilgrimage around the world as soon as I get $5,000 in the savings account. And I'm going to do it as fast as I can. And then I I had to go to work, finish my picture framing job. But (laughs) while I was there, I created like a 75 word ad for the penny saver that said, we'll do the following tasks, you know paint your house, clean out your attic, wash your windows, da-da-da-da. And then I started getting jobs. And then I also became a waitress for Howard Johnson, went to work at 5 a.m. I also became a dishwasher at a restaurant, washed dishes until midnight. So I worked really hard for a year and a half, got my $5,000, bought 200 rolls of film, 200 Kodak mailers for my slides. And that's how... The whole thing happened. Started, yeah. Because of the hundreds monkey.
0: Well, it was certainly the thing that um, got you on fire um, and still on fire. Still on fire. <laughs> now, you state that God, you state that the God you once related to has gone away of the wild goose. Okay, the God you once related to, that doesn't mean you don't believe in God, it just means. That God that you had formed in your life as being part of a nun and living the religious life versus the spiritual. But the time that you spent in prayer and meditation only increases every day, today, tomorrow, what you do. How has your relationship with God morphed and what makes it better now than it was in the past?
1: So I no longer have an image—the
0: Sistine
1: Chapel image of that <laughs> bearded God reaching yeah. out and touching and creating Adam. That is the image that's gone the way of the wild goose. I have also studied um, John Bishop John Shelby Spong, who is a biblical scholar, and studied the text and have n- n- no longer look to scripture because there's it's so much of it is suspect through all the translations to the patriarchy, through all the agendas of all the people, you know, it was original Aramaic. And then it gets translated into Latin by male priests. And then it gets translated into Greek and then it gets translated Mm -hmm. into old English, right? It's just, How can anything stay the same? So I don't count on those scriptures being necessarily
0: true. Being the truth. Being the truth. The truth, meaning with a capital T.
1: So every morning in my practice, I light two candles and I recreate fresh every day. Who, Who is this God people talk about? And it's just gotten down to that force is the source of this creation. It's more like a verb. It's ongoing. It's the wave. And I'm the particle. It's one energy. And energy either takes the form of a wave or a particle based on who's looking. And so I know I'm the particle version. And I know the invisible one is the wave version. But that's in my lungs, in my bloodstream, the air that I breathe, the sea that I swim in, that is divine mind
0: to me. Well, I think divine mind. I like your asking. analogy because I go to listen to the monks at SRF and I'm a devotee. And they always say there's the drop and the sea. And this is, we are drops in the sea of the total, right? Of the whole. And um, you know, it it is that's the way really to look at it. Um so um you if you were to leave these listeners with three key takeaways from the book, um what would they be and what would you say to encourage our listeners to embrace this God energy. In other words, the energy, not the religion, the fact that it is part of us, we are all God in our own right. Um, We are those particles as part of the whole, right? We're all interconnected. Um, What would you tell them about your journey, having been separated, saying, oh, no, God is up there, right? Because that's the way you were, the two fingers doing this. Versus, no, God is in here, and I am that. I mean, you know, I think there's still people making that journey, Jan, lots of them.
1: Emily Dickinson once said, the only news I get is bulletins all day from immortality. And when I think of God as supreme intelligence, I think of God as broadcasting intelligence throughout the cosmos. Every minute of the day. And so, how do I get my messages? Right? I sit there in silence and say, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm in your presence. I don't have a puppy there. I don't have other people there. I don't, I'm not playing my playlists. I'm in silence. I have a candle burning. And I sit there for a designated period of time. That is a requirement to be in relationship with divine mind. Imagine falling in love with someone. You know, the feeling think of being in love with, I have driven through blizzards to spend a night with someone I love. I have risked my life to be in the arms of the beloved. Now, If you're in love with somebody, when they call and say, how do we get together? You do not say, I don't have time. Because all you want to do is be in the arms of your beloved. So the critical requirement, you can do it 10 minutes a day. I guarantee you'll up your game. If you commit to 10 minutes a day, every day, to sit in silence, put your phone somewhere else, don't read the newspaper, don't have any temptations around you to take your attention. Just sit there quietly, you will be communicated to. All my CDs are songs that I wrote as a result of the communications I received in my meditation time. Every song comes from the outside. In so if I would say to your listeners, if you want an inspired life, take a listen every day to the boss of inspiration, to the supreme source of your life. Tune in, tune in, and realize that everything. This goes back to opposite of truth is an untruth. Opposite of profound t- statement is an other profound statement. This is also true. Everything that has happened to you, it could be the best thing and it could be the worst thing, but it has happened to you. It has happened for you. And it has happened through you that you co-created every disaster, every trauma, and every tragedy in your life. You had something to do with that being in your sphere, because we are creative people. It has happened for you as well as to you. And that you, we have to process the events of our lives, keep spinning them until we come to the point where we finally get it and say, thank you for that occurrence. You know, you say to somebody, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? My divorce from my first husband. What's the best thing that ever happened to you? My divorce from my first husband. Right. Right. Because they have processed it. Right. Now they're going, thank God I divorced my first husband. I always love
0: love what Byron Katie used to say, you know, to say, is it true? Is it really true? (laughs) Right. Meaning because you know, we live in a world of making stuff up, then believing what we made up, and then living the story that we made up. Right. Um, You know, and you don't have to believe everything you think. And yeah. so, you know, you're walking around having this thought about what was the worst thing that ever happened. And that's really, in essence, what you have had happen um, is you started, you start to question your thinking, but then when you get in touch with a true higher source, call it God, power the omnipotent, whatever, you find that you uh, will shift so much because you have a love relationship with God or a higher power, knowing that every day, that's what you said. I'm seeking to have this connection because that's where I get my sustenance from. Um, I get my sustenance, I get my creativity, I get everything I need for my listeners, Go out and get a copy of this, Still on Fire. You're going to be on fire after you read it uh, because you're going to want to do something in your life and change something from this memoir. Jan, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth, sharing some of your stories and your experiences because that's how we all learn. Um, Mm -hmm. community, we hear other people. They can go to your website at janphillips.com. We'll put a link in there. We'll also have a link to the book, on Amazon as well. Do follow Jan. She's got a newsletter. She's got a lot of things that you could sign up for, uh, but an opportunity to explore new horizons. Uh, that's what I'll say. Jan, thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Greg, thanks. You're great. We Take love care. you. Take
0: care. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support.